Hello, this is Pastor John Vicky. September 30th, I will be with my family. Refuge Temple Church, 152 North Main Street in the great city of Burlington, North Carolina. I will be there with my entire crew celebrating the Prayer and Power Weekend. You absolutely cannot miss this event. We're super excited to be with the Refuge Temple family. Again, that's on September 30th at 6.30 p.m. opening the RTC 28th Church anniversary. You know Burlington is my home. Look, so you got to meet me there. I can't wait to see you and I'm excited. God bless. Praise the Lord. You are listening to a word from the Lord, a radio and internet ministry of the Refuge Temple Church of Burlington, North Carolina. Refuge Temple Church is located in the heart of Burlington, NC at 152 North Main Street. Our pastor is Bishop Reginald J. Davis. Refuge Temple Church is a spirit-filled, Bible-believing, multicultural ministry ordained by Jesus Christ to serve him, his kingdom, and the community from Main Street to the world. We welcome you to join us now for anointed music and the word of God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Remain standing and let's go into the word, Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter number 9 and verse number 32. And the Gospel of St. John, chapter 21 and verse number 15. We'll begin in St. Matthew, St. Matthew, chapter 9 and verse 32. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. Multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he cast about devils through the prince of devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Gospel of St. John chapter number 21 and verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Before you take your seat, tell somebody, Love Christ, love the sheep. You can be seated. Love Christ, love 
the sheep. I've been laboring with this subject in this text now for about a month, um, not for redundancy, but because I believe there's a lot to share. My goal, and I want you to listen to me carefully, is that we are a church that pleases God. Anybody want to be a part of a church that pleases God? Hallelujah. Not just a member of any congregation and not just a member of whatever size congregation, but I want to be a part of a congregation that pleases God. Because when it's all said and done, the only affirmation that's going to matter is when you stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And the notion of God's goodness is the stamp of approval that only God can give you. We have for too many years in the body of Christ used other people's assessments to determine if God is pleased with us. We use um, the acclaim or the talk, or, and now we use um, social media, who is everybody buzzing about, who is everybody talking about, and we use that as a means of assessing whether or not God is pleased with us. When in, the, when, when in harsh reality, only God can tell you if he's happy with you or not. Hallelujah, only God. And, 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 and I've learned and I've had to learn that, you know, the praise of people is fleeting at best. Hallelujah. And the same people we praise today, we talk about tomorrow. Same people we celebrate today, we, we, we denigrate on the next day. And so it's important, and, and I love this because God doesn't change. Come on, somebody. Whatever God said we're supposed to do yesterday, he expects us to do that same thing today. However, God is assessing and evaluating and monitoring our progress as people. That is what God is expecting of us right now. And so I'm living, working, laboring, and doing everything so that God can be pleased with my life. God can be pleased with the work that I possess. And so we've been talking about this church called Tove, and we've talked about the grace, and we've talked about Christ's likeness, we've talked about empathy, and, and, and we're focused now on putting people after Christ. And, and what is meant by that is that Christ always comes first. Anybody know he's always first? Uh, Christ is always first. Christ is always who we look to. He is the head of the church, and when we try to head the church, we are creating a monster because anything that has two heads is a monster. Come on, somebody. And when you have a church that is being headed by Christ and then headed by popular opinion or headed by a power structure or headed by a board or whatever else you want to call it, you are creating something that is indeed a monster. And the way it behaves, tell us that we're dealing with monsters, hallelujah, in the kingdom of God. But yet, here is um, the notion that Christ is first, but then after Christ, we have a responsibility to protect the people. Come on, somebody. 
Hallelujah. We have a responsibility to feed the people. We have a responsibility to nurture the people. And I want to say this clearly that everybody that is in the church is a responsibility of the church. There are none, and I'm going to say this very clearly, there are no insignificant people in the church. And I know that for many years the church has been victimized by cliques and favorites and the popular crowd and the people who seem to be the movers and the shakers. But I came to tell you that everybody matters to Jesus. Say amen, somebody. Everybody matters to Jesus. And if everybody matters to Jesus and we are the body of Christ, everybody ought to matter to us. But if I could be honest and transparent, and I've been in church now for 50 years, I've seen a lot of shady stuff happen in the church. I've seen us favor some people and disregard other people. I've seen us put leaders on pedestals and destroy the people at the base of the pedestal. I've seen us connive to protect somebody while we are very quick to expose everybody else but I came to tell you that everybody matters if you remember the last thing I said on last Sunday I made it very clear that Jesus said if you offend the least of these oh hallelujah the insignificant one the one that doesn't have an education the one that doesn't seem to fit into a certain mold or a certain mindset the one that for whatever reason sticks out like a sore thumb. If you offend that one, the Bible says it is better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you be dropped in the bottom of the river. You don't want to miss the rapture for mistreating somebody that you deemed insignificant. You don't want to bust hell wide open. Oh God, because the Bible says, I'm going I'm to I'm upset you, that respect of persons is sin. That's in your Bible. Read the book of James. Respect of persons, uplifting others while you denigrate others. Oh God, celebrating this one while you ignore that one. All of that is sin in your Bible. And God's not going to judge us. Oh God, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching hard right now. By our tongue speaking, our hand clapping, our dancing and shouting, God's going to judge us by how we deal with, treat, and embrace and love the people that he has placed in our midst. It's God's expectation. And so you can't love Jesus and not love his sheep. And if you read, and let's go to Matthew for a moment. I'm going to just touch a few points, and really I'm almost done. Matthew chapter 9, he makes the point that the purpose of the church is to affect change in the lives of people. Now, ask this hard question to somebody sitting beside you. Who's been blessed? Because you're saved. Okay, y'all mumble that. Say it loud. Who's been blessed? Because you're saved. Can you point to anybody whose life has been positively impacted because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Where's the fruit of your life with God? Where's the significance of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and if we could be very honest, we're struggling to think about because this generation of church has become so self-centered. 
and so personality driven and so driven by what's in it for me that we don't realize that God saved you so that you would have impact on somebody else. Anybody know that? Anybody know God saved you? Not just to get you out of hell, but so your life would have impact on somebody else. And when you ignore the mandate of why God saved you, you bring to question this is going to be hard. Are you really saved? Because if you aren't carrying out the mandate, God saved you to make you a vessel. God saved you to use you for his glory. And if you can't point to identify and, 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 and single out somebody whose life is blessed because of you, it brings to question whether or not you're really saved. Because when Jesus impacted a community, he started meeting needs. Come on, somebody. He walks up on a man that is dumb, cannot speak, and he cannot speak because he's demonically possessed. And, 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 and I want to deal with this for a moment because so often what we tend to do in church is we attack symptoms without root causes. And, and, and if, if we weren't Jesus, if we were just us, we'd see this man not speaking and we try to give him sign language. Come on, somebody. We try to teach him how to sign and we try to teach him how to communicate without speech when it was not anything physiological that was stopping the man from speaking. It was that the Bible says he had a dumb spirit. He could not talk. He could not articulate. He could not make words. And so rather than dealing with the symptom, Jesus dealt with the cause. If I could help somebody in here. So often in church we attack people and, and Deacon Rousen shared it so beautifully today that so often we attack the look and what they look like and what they got on and how they appear rather than to deal with the fact that that's a soul that needs to be saved. And whether they're in blue jeans brocades or silk oh God and, and, and the finest of wool that's a soul that needs to be saved. But we're looking at the reason why somebody is strung out on drugs is they need to be saved. The reason why they're promiscuous is they need to be saved. The reason why they're acting the way they act in an unseemly manner is because they need to be saved. And I need somebody that has the temerity to say in the name of Jesus come on and receive this salvation. In the name of Jesus come on and take him on by water baptism. In the name of Jesus come on and receive the power of the Holy Ghost. Anybody know that when God changes you, he changes your whole life. Oh, come on. Anybody been changed? Anybody's life been made better because of the power and presence of the Holy Ghost? Come on and shout hallelujah. So, Jesus casts out the Spirit. Now, this is not 2023 thinking, but there are still demon-possessed people walking around. Come on, somebody. There's still folk walking around carrying demons. I don't know if y'all realize it or not. In fact, I think the demons found a way to Xerox themselves, and they're multiplying. When you see all of this stuff, these random shootings and all of this violence and all of this hatred and all of this racism and all of this classism that is taking over, that's an indication that the demonic element is consuming itself in the earth. But that's why the church cannot be silent. There still needs to be some people that know how to point to somebody and say, in the name of Jesus, come out of him. There still needs to be somebody that can plead the blood. There still 
to be somebody. The Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. You know what? I, I, I hate to say it, but it's the truth. There's some demons living in our houses. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Messing with our kids and disrupting the relationships and making life difficult. And instead of just, and I'm not against talking and counseling and reasoning, but when it gets late at night, get your oil out and start walking through your house saying, in the name of Jesus, this spirit of depression has got to leave my house. In the name of Jesus, this spirit of confusion has got to leave my house. In the name of Jesus, this spirit of the flesh has got to walk out of my house. Somebody put your hands together. Shout hallelujah. The demon came out, and the Bible says that the dumb person began to speak. And how do you know somebody's delivered? They act different. Okay, that went over somebody's head. How do you know you're delivered? You act different. What you were doing before deliverance, you now have the power against it after deliverance. And you can't claim deliverance and there's no change. Because if there's indeed genuine deliverance, there has to be change. Attitudes change. Actions change. Words change. Minds change. When there's genuine deliverance. So they knew the man was delivered because he couldn't speak and now he was speaking. Oh God, I'm prophesying to somebody. When you get delivered, you're going to do what you couldn't do. Oh, God. I don't know who that's for, but I need you to take it home with you. When you get delivered, you're going to be able to do what you couldn't do, what you couldn't resist, what you couldn't step away from, what you couldn't move away from. When deliverance comes, oh my God, you're going to be able to do what you couldn't do. You may as well get ready to celebrate your deliverance because God is going to free you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. God is going to free you. So... Now, the Pharisees, they were the critics, and there's always critics that have something negative to say. I don't care what you do, and that's why you don't live your life for the sake of the approval of other people, because no matter what you do, there's somebody going to criticize. Here was a man that couldn't speak and now could speak, and the Pharisees said, it must be Beelzebub. It must be the devil that took the devil out. Now, I, I want you to follow logic. The man was possessed by a demon. So the devil makes the demon leave so the man could speak. That makes no sense, right? The devil is never going to free you so that God can be glorified in your life. And so, but, but I want you to notice the response of Jesus. That he essentially continued his assignment trying to help somebody in here when you start to minister when you start to be used of God you are going to be the object of criticism and how many people gave up their ministry because somebody criticized them gave up their calling because somebody talked about them 
gave up what they knew they were anointed to do because somebody said something to them funny. I need you to go back and pick up your assignment. I don't know who I'm talking to, but whatever God has chosen you to do, I need you to stop living off the, the, the commentary of people who wouldn't help anybody even if they had the capacity. If God has anointed you, if God has chosen you, if God is using you, why are you quitting on what God called you to do? It's time to Pull yourself up, gird up your loins, get your attitude together, and say, you know what? You didn't hire me, so you can't fire me. Oh, hallelujah. You didn't save me, so you're not the one using me. And whatever God has called me to do, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Anybody feel like going forward and doing the will of God? Come on and shout hallelujah. Last part, I dealt with the scattered last Sunday. But listen to the prayer of Jesus. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. You can find churchgoers, but in all reality, in this season of my life and ministry, I ain't looking for no more churchgoers. I'm looking for laborers. Come on, somebody. You can find any random person to sit in a pew for an hour and a half on a Sunday. But when it comes to rolling up your sleeves and doing something, oh God, from Sunday afternoon until the next Sunday, it's hard to find. Everybody's working. Everybody's busy. Everybody got to get their rest. Everybody got to go on vacation. Everybody got to pursue the next degree. And there's nothing wrong with any of that in isolation to itself. But understand that God has an expectation that your life is supposed to produce fruit. You know what happened when Jesus met the fig tree? He saw the fig tree looking for fruit and all he saw was leaves just flowing in the breeze. Sound like church. Oh God, when you're looking for fruit, you just see people waving and people running and people dancing, but God's looking for fruit. Who's saved because you're saved? Who's delivered because you're delivered? Who knows Jesus because you know Jesus who's been brought to Christ by your testimony saints God is looking for fruit and I'm determined that he won't curse me come on somebody because when Jesus didn't see fruit on the fig tree what did he do he cursed it and the next day the fruit tree dried up Saints, I've come too far to be cursed now. Hallelujah. I've labored too long to be cursed now. I want my life to be fruitful until the day the Lord takes me out of here. I want my life to be fruitful. Oh God, I understand that maybe you can't do what you used to do, but lean over and tell somebody you can do something. Oh, hallelujah. Maybe you can't work in the kitchen, but you can stand at the door and encourage somebody. Maybe you can't come like you used to come, but you can use that phone that you used to, to call DoorDash. Oh God, and call for your dinner and call somebody and say, can I tell you about Jesus? Call somebody that's sick and say, can I pray for you? Call somebody that's discouraged and say, can I help you? You're always texting other people's business. But when was the last time you said,
in a text of a scripture. Oh, hallelujah. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. He shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. When was the last time you just encouraged somebody and sent them a text? I'm praying for you. And I love you. And God's going to make a way for you. Oh, God, give us, labor us. The harvest is plenteous. There are plenty of people dying. There are plenty of people suicidal. There are plenty of people depressed. There are plenty of people incarcerated. There are plenty of people in hospitals. But where are the saints? Where is the church to do the work of God? But I came to tell somebody, and I'm starting with me, that God's going to hold us accountable for allowing the harvest to dry up and die. God's going to hold us accountable for not being in the field to say, Lord, use me to touch somebody. Imagine what would happen in your family if you just got one relative saved. Imagine what would happen in your house if you just got one of your children saved. But we're sitting around waiting for somebody else to do it. But God has called all of us. Somebody shout all of us. Somebody shout all of us. Somebody shout all of us. All of us are accountable. It's not the preacher's job to win the harvest. It's not the preacher's job to win the harvest. It's my job to pray and then train the laborers. And it's the laborer's job to get out there and harvest. You are too used to finding folk that look just like us. It's time for you to find anybody uh, that needs to be saved. Uh, red and yellow, black and white. Uh, they are precious in his sight. Uh, they may not live in your neighborhood, uh, but if they got a soul, you ought to be concerned about them. Uh, if they got a soul, uh, you ought to be praying for them. Uh, if they got a soul. Oh God. Somebody throw your hands up and say, labor us. Oh, hallelujah. Labor us. Where are the people that'll labor at the altar? Come on, somebody. Now, I remember the days. It wasn't everybody, but it might be a few dedicated folk that say, until they give up, we not gonna give up. Come on, somebody. And they would pray with souls. They would leave the church and lock the door. Y'all ain't saying nothing. They would leave the church, everybody else go to dinner. And you would sit at the altar, praying until God filled. We need laborers. There are people that will go in the streets and pass out flyers, saying, don't you want to be saved? Jesus Christ is coming again soon. And if they didn't go in the street, they witnessed to their neighbors. They witnessed to their coworkers. They witnessed to our friends. You're saved because somebody thought enough to witness to you. Your mama, your daddy, your friend, your uncle, your stranger. But somebody witnessed to you and told you there's a man from Galilee. If you're in sin, he'll set you free. Do you know him? Anybody know Jesus? Come on, clap your hands. Shout hallelujah. But he is the deliverer. Here's the dilemma. We don't love the sheep because we don't love the shepherds. Jesus asked Peter a question. 
Jesus said, Peter, Simon of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus said, feed the lambs. Now, the English translation of the Bible doesn't express the nuance in the text. Because although in the English version of your Bible, it uses the same word love, they were not the same words. The love that Jesus expressed and the love that Peter expressed were two different loves. The love that Jesus expressed was one of total commitment. Everybody say total commitment. The love that Peter expressed was affection. Some of us like Jesus, or we like the ideal of a Jesus, but we're not totally committed to a Jesus. And that kind of defines church. Because there are some of us that are all in. Come on, somebody. What do you mean all in? My mind is here. My spirit is here. My body is here. My time is here. My talent is here. My treasure is here. And then there are others, I just like church. We have a good time in church. The Lord's been good to me. So I have an affection to Jesus. Jesus wants more than just for you to like him. He wants to know, are you committed to him? Yeah, I stopped and slowed down deliberately because I didn't want to hoop over this. There's a difference between having an affection for Jesus and being committed to Jesus. We sing and dance and shout because we have an affection for Jesus. Who wouldn't love him as good as the Lord has been to us? But that's just an affection. But do you love him enough to commit yourself? Oh, y'all ain't getting this. Do you love him enough to commit yourself to Jesus Christ? Because committing yourself means, Lord, whatever I have, you have. Whatever I possess, you possess. Whatever belongs to me, God, it belongs to you. Now, I'm... ready to bust up something. Don't y'all get mad. Be careful of that person that's always trying to slow you down. You know, come here, Taylor, come here, come here. Deacon Taylor, you are such a committed servant. You take care of this and you take care of that and you visit the sick and you visit and you help and you labor and you pray and you sacrifice. I got, some, I got a piece of advice for you. Slow down. And it usually comes from somebody who's already sitting down. Yeah, I'm preaching hard right now. The person that wants you to slow down, and they want you to slow down because your commitment is making them look bad. Because there's something about church people. We don't want nobody working harder than we appear to be working. And so if I think he's doing too much, 
because he's all the way up there and I'm back here, I'm going to do my best. Slow, 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 slow. Slow down, slow down, slow, slow, slow. We don't join them in the work. Come on, somebody. We don't say, what can I do to help you in the work? We say, Toll, you're doing too much. You're going to burn yourself out doing all this stuff for these church folk and don't nobody appreciate what you do. Well, the Lord never said they would appreciate what you do. He said, do what you do that my father might be glorified in heaven. Thank you, brother. I'm not doing what I do to impress anybody, but I want to stand before God and say, Lord, I gave it everything I had. It wasn't much, but I gave you everything that I had. I'm preaching right now. I'm preaching right now. Why are you saving your strength? What else are you planning to do? I got to save my strength. You running the marathon in the next Olympics? Because if I, and, and those of you who are more fitness oriented than I am, I understood that you push yourself to build stamina. Okay, y'all don't got quiet. See, some of y'all work out like me. I take one walk, and I need about three days to recover from the walk. That ain't how you build stamina. You build stamina by going to the length of your endurance. You don't injure yourself, but you got to push yourself. Shake somebody and say, you got to push yourself. Saints, we got to push ourselves. Because it's easy for a congregation to develop a lazy spirit. I, oh God, it's easy for a congregation to, but Jesus is asking the question, do you love me? I really, I want to be loved, but I'm not expecting the people to do what they do because they love Reginald Davis. Because if you do what you do just because you love Reginald Davis or just because you love Charity Davis, the moment you stop loving me, come on somebody, your labor's gonna stop. The moment you stop loving the first lady, the labor is gonna stop. But if I've taught you anything, I've tried to teach you to love Jesus first. Oh God, because if you love people first, people will fail you. And I'll be honest, in 28 years, I know I failed somebody. I know I disappointed somebody. I know somebody wasn't happy with what I said or what I did. And so please don't serve God. And don't feed the sheep because you love Reginald Davis. But if you love Jesus, oh hallelujah, and not 
not just affectionate to Jesus, but is there anybody here that's committed to Jesus that'll say, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to thee, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. Don't say it if you don't mean it, but if you love God with your whole heart, open your mouth right now and say, God, I love you. If you love him with your whole spirit, open your mouth and say, God, I love you. If you love him with the essence of your being, for in him I live, in him I move, in him I have my being, then open your mouth and tell the Lord that you love him. But he doesn't want Sunday morning affection. He doesn't want Wednesday night, oh God, attention. He wants total commitment. Thou shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Every time I think about it, I fall in love all over again. Every time I consider how good the Lord has been to me, I love him all over again. I'm looking for poker sitting on Sunday morning that still love Jesus. Is there anybody here that loves my Jesus? Is there anybody here that loves my Lord? Is there anybody here that the Lord's been so good to you that is not enough just to have affection, but you're committed. If you say it, I'll do it. If you command it, I'll make it happen. If you call me, I'll answer. If you plead with me, I'll do it. If you desire prayer or want more information about our church, please call us at 336-570-3664. Again, that's 336-570-3664. You can also go to our website for more information about our ministry at www.refugetemplenc.com. Again, that's www.refugetemplenc.com. Pastor Reginald and Lady Charity Davis and the Refuge Temple family would like to invite you to worship with us whenever you are in the Burlington area. If this ministry has blessed you, please write to us at P.O. Box 3552, Burlington, N.C., 27215. That's P.O. Box 3552, Burlington, N.C., 27215. Or email us, info at refugetemplenc.com. That's info at refugetemplenc.com. God bless you, and until next time, shalom, shalom.